All right, so this morning we are in Isaiah chapter 35. Over the last several weeks, we've heard about judgment, the coming judgment of the Lord, and we saw that he kind of surveyed the landscape that was at the time. Over here a little. I don't trust those guys back in the corner. He surveyed the landscape at the time and, and said, there's justice that needs to happen. Uh, things are not going well, and justice needs to happen, and justice is, in fact, going to come. And if you look back at chapter 34, at the first verse or two, it says, Draw near, O nations, to hear, and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains hear in the world and all that springs from it. For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations, and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. It doesn't look good. In a lot of these chapters, it's woe unto this, woe unto that. But we've also had glimpses off and on this whole time where we hear that, you know, there's going to be a few. We call it a remnant. There's going to be a few folks who experience God's salvation. And if you flip back another page or two in your Bible to chapter 32, we see language such as in verse 14, where it says, you know, formerly uh, the palace had been abandoned, the populated city forsaken, and so forth. And verse 15, until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field is considered as a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide in the fertile field. This concept of there's wilderness, and then God's going to do something, and it's going to be different. There's going to be... Uh, from the bad and the judgment to the good and the restoration and the rebirth. And this chapter 35 is uh, a real, almost a poetic view of the good that's coming. Uh, We've had, you know, it's been a lot of woe is me the last few weeks and really off and on through most of Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah's trying to make the point, you know, you got to get right. There's there's danger coming and and this is not what God wants for you and but then here it just bursts forth a, a beautiful picture of better days ahead so that's the that's the theme as we head into chapter 35 the little the little heading that my bible has is Zion's happy future Zion's happy future so we'll jump on in and just walk through this and see what God has for us. And as things come to mind, you know, uh, again, this is this is family here. So uh, as God brings things to mind that that uh, He hits you with, um, raise your hand and let's share. Verse one: The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. Uh, the wilderness and the desert will be glad. You know, our current state 
is like what? It's like wilderness and desert. It's not good. Um, wilderness, things are untamed. There's wild things out there. There's unexpected dangers. Um, and even here today, we've heard of, you know, unexpected death, you know, that just out of nowhere. And that truly is partly where we dwell, you know, in the wilderness in some ways. It says there's wilderness and there's desert. So in desert, it's like you define desert really by the things it doesn't have, right? Uh, it doesn't have water. It doesn't have lots of vegetation. It doesn't have tons of people just doing great there. It's barren. You describe a desert by the things that are missing. And that in some ways is the state of, of things without God. You define it by all the things that you're missing. But it says there'll be a day where there'll be rejoicing and blossom like the crocus. I thought it was interesting, um, two references there, this Arabob referred to uh, an area, uh, one commentator says it's a reference to the region south of the Dead Sea reaching to the Gulf of Aqaba. He says, evidently, Isaiah has in mind primarily Judah, but his purpose is not thus to restrict himself. He's referring to all that has become desert through the depredations of the ecumenical empire of man. The waste world would become like an earthly paradise for the whole reversal of conditions will set in. The point being there that there was a this Arabah that was referred to was a real desert, but it's representative of a much more figurative desert. The other reference there to the crocus, like the crocus. And apparently in translation times, this, this is a, a debate between uh, the scientists, uh, or the botanists you might say, and the poets. So apparently there's a word here that means some sort of flower. But the translators couldn't really figure out exactly what it was. So the scientists rolled up their sleeves and they said, well, you know, considering all the flowers that are in this part of the world and the things that might bring forth color in the desert and so forth, we think that he's talking about the crocus. Well, then you had the other more poetically minded people said, well, we don't really know what kind of flower it is, but we think it's going to be pretty and we think it's going to blossom a lot, so we're going to call it a rose. So in the... Uh, uh, like uh, King James and some other translations, it says, well, blossom like the rose. Some say, blossom like the crocus. They don't really know. Those of you that like flowers, insert your favorite flower here, and you'll be just as good as anybody else. Gwen, I don't know what flower she would pick, but uh, uh, something nice, I'm sure. Moving on. Verse 2. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing, and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. So three locations there, Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon, and they were each known for um, their bounty, um, vegetation and harvest and, and lands that would bring forth produce. Uh, we talked about the cedars. And so here you have this land that is barren, and it's going to be transformed into these really beautiful areas. Uh, to call into mind one little literary thing, something called a chiasm. It's a, um, 
it's a, uh, a way of ordering the words that uh, some of the writers did to make their point. So here, for example, in the latter part of verse 1, you hear the words rejoicing and blossom. And then in verse 2, it says blossom and then rejoicing. Uh, they kind of reverse the word order there, and it's to, they each reinforce each other to, to talk about um, how great this will be. And it's just, a, uh, it's just like today when we hear somebody make a point with a rhyme or with alliteration where, you know, the, the old preachers that, you know, start every point with a, the same letter or something. It just, it's a literary device to say, hey, pay attention to this. This is something cool, and that's what was going on there. Let's lead into uh, verse 3. It says, they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And in verse 3 it says, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. I won't ask for a show of hands as to who is among the exhausted and who is among the feeble <laughs> on any given day. Um, you know, um, I, I think, you know, we have encouragement here for every one of us who is not doing all that well, which is, again, on any given day, all of us, right? Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. So here we have introduction into these next verses which are coming, which it tells us the purpose. Um, there's, you could say this is gospel. This is good news, which is what gospel means. Um, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. And in verse 4 it says, you know, how? Who do we encourage and so forth? And it says in verse 4, Say to those with an anxious heart, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Yes, judgment is coming. Yes, God is going to... Uh, to judge. I mean, in chapter 34, we, he talks about his sword is dripping with blood. I mean, you know, he's coming after those. And the author says, yes, recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Those that are, you know, putting their, their trust in the right place, he will save you. Um, this command of take courage and fear not. Does that wake up any phrases we've heard in the past? When we were in Joshua, what was Joshua told? Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Here we have, be strong, fear not, take courage. He will save you. The warning that we saw in previous verses was the people, or part of the judgment was the people weren't looking to God for their salvation, right? They were looking at all these other places. They were looking to Egypt was one of the examples. You know, let's look everywhere else for our help but God. And here he says, you know, he will save you. He will save you. It would be a good hymn, I think. Only trust him. There we go. He will save you. 
Um, there's a, a phrase that you'll hear sometimes where people say, you know, I got this. Or sometimes people say, you know, I've got you. And I think that really fits here. God's saying, I've got you. I've got you. Egypt doesn't have you. I've got you. What else is going to happen in that day? Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leak like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. Um, so here we have this great example uh, among many, but here's a good example of prophecy where we have the prophecy that is fulfilled in the future from when Isaiah wrote. So as we look at this, we can see some of this, um, it's like the start of it has been fulfilled, but it hasn't completely been fulfilled. So if you flip to Luke chapter 7, here we see part one, just a taste of this. If you look in Luke chapter 7, verse 18, the setting is that John the Baptist has had his ministry. John the Baptist is in jail. Jesus' ministry is cranking up. And you've got disciples of Jesus. You've got disciples of John. In verse 18, it says, And the disciples of John reported to him about all these things. John's in prison. Verse 19, And summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? And when the men had come to him, and they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Very faithful messengers there, right? I mean, sometimes people don't get the message right, but they, they got it right. Verse 21, And at that very time he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, that is John's disciples, he says, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Looking back to verse 5, what is the new kingdom going to be characterized by? It's going to be characterized by the blind seeing and the deaf hearing and the lame leaping and the dumb shouting for joy. Has everything in chapter 35 happened yet? No. We've talked about the millennium, the, the kingdom where uh, Jesus is r ruling and reigning. We have a thousand years of, of God restoring everything. That's the complete fulfillment of this. But Jesus referred to this to himself saying, this is, this is the first of the kingdom coming. This is what it looks like. Um, and so his answer to John was, yes, 
I am the one. Not complete, but here we see kind of the, the, the prophecy. Uh, we see the near and we see the far uh, all in this chapter. And so we're in the middle. We can look back onto the start of the prophecy and we can look forward to the rest of it. So we're just in that, in that middle there. It's interesting, um, if we go on down to verse 7, continuing this word about waters and streams, verse 7, and the scorched land will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. Uh, Few things really compel a person to reach for satisfaction like thirst. Uh, I doubt any of us have ever been all that thirsty. Right? Um, We've kind of been thirsty, but we've never been three days without water thirsty, probably. But that thirst, that desire, uh, the closest thing I've seen to this is that unfortunate person who has abdominal surgery and we don't let them eat or drink for a long time and they just want something in their mouth and it's always water or ice um, something moist um, even if they're getting IV they want something um, and that doesn't even pale by comparison or rather doesn't um, even show the comparison but there's thirstiness that's going to be satisfied. And instead of this desert that is talking about being barren of water, now water is just going to be coming up out of the ground. Uh, our hometown, Kentwood, uh, Louisiana, is, is known for uh, three things. Uh, the boyhood home of Bill Morris. Uh, that's probably on a billboard. Um, <laughs> It's known for being the home of Britney Spears and the home of Kentwood Springwater. And long before the days of bottled water, um, before, you know, you know, I use bottled water. Uh, it's probably the, you know, the silliest thing I spend money on. But, um, but in Kentwood, uh, there really is the, the artesian well that people uh, hear about. Uh, all the town had to do was basically shove a pipe in the ground and water came out. Um, and it's, it's been tested at some of the best ever. Um, for decades, they would load railroad cars of it uh, and ship it down to New Orleans where the water is not that great because um, all they have is what everybody has dumped into the Mississippi. Um, this concept of an artesian well, and, and I'm assuming it's still today. I haven't been by there in years, but even as growing up, you could go by and there was the pipe coming out of the ground and the city would use all they wanted and it was still just running out and people would just take their buckets and their you know everybody it's you could even today you could drive down there and fill up your jug um, it just spills out onto the ground and this concept of of water just coming out where there was barren and now it's just a great picture of uh, how uh, completely God is going to fix this desert situation. 
Verse 8 picks up another kind of a metaphor, and it says, And a highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, for it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. Um, this fools will not wander on it, I thought was interesting. It doesn't mean that if you're foolish, you get to walk on this. The point is that this way is so well made. This highway is so beautifully built, so properly constructed that anyone could follow this. No one is going to get lost on this highway. There's going to be no doubt as to where this is going. It's, a, it's, a, it's an elevated highway. So in the wilderness where there's, you know, it's hilly terrain and it's barren and it's rocky, to have this highway that could take you where you needed to go was amazing. Um, it would have been, they, they probably couldn't have even really imagined a highway like this. Um, I do, I, it's interesting. Um, uh, this they would have, you know. Can you imagine transporting someone who literally w had been going through the desert on, you know, rocky ground with all the cactus and the snakes and who knows what else is out there, and then just instantly transport them and put them on one of our interstates? They probably couldn't even fathom something like that, and that's what this is saying that. Um, you know, anyone can walk on this. You're not going to get lost on this. Verse 9 continues, No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go there upon it. But the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Um, in this life we have sorrow and sadness um, the you know the, the statement that Jane said and I t totally understand the statement and he's not expected to live that pretty much describes all of us we're not expected to live folks right we're not expected to live. But there will be a day when sorrow and sighing will flee away. I just think that's just the coolest. Um, we talk about the millennium. I'll just make a brief comment. There are great brothers and sisters in the Protestant world who shuffle the timeline a little differently and uh, gets complicated when you try to create man's system uh, when man creates a system to try to explain everything of God our systems help us you know when daddy talks about his charts you know he always has disclaimers there and and I do as well um, but if you divided the groups of people who think there will be a millennium 
like this describes versus those who, who really think this is more just figurative language. Um, it, a lot of it boils down to whether they believe the prophecies like in verse in chapter 35 um, have they happened already are they in the process of happening the way God has blessed the church in which case you would say well this is just a figurative prophecy versus those who would say you know it says all this is going to happen it's going to be amazing it's there's a completeness that seems to be described here that doesn't seem to have happened yet so we think it's going to happen at some other point and the only other point that we can really point to where it could happen would be in the millennium so uh, uh, what you think about some of these timeline things does affect how you read some of these passages so those of us who who believe that there will be a future millennium kingdom it's very easiest for us to see a passage like chapter 35 through that lens that says there's going to be an amazing day coming it hasn't happened yet but it's coming and so that's that's how your you know we talked about how your worldview can affect you your kind of your spiritual lens can affect how you interpret some passages of scripture and you'll see that more as we go along uh, one other story that came to mind as I was going through this. Um, in the early 1900s, there was this uh, missionary couple, and they felt this call to go to Japan uh, to minister to the people in Japan. And they did that for almost 20 years, and their um, mission was to make sure everyone in Japan heard the gospel. Uh, they feel like they, they did that. Um, by the time they wrapped up, uh, tens of millions of the Japanese had heard the gospel because of the ministry uh, of this couple called the Oriental Mission Society. Toward the end of that, the, the husband of the couple, uh, Mr. Charles Kalman, uh, got sick. And so the couple moved back to their home in Chicago. And as his wife was dealing with this stressful time and and feeling God's support and God's encouragement um, she was inspired by Ch Isaiah 35 this verse 6 where it says for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and in her version that she had at the time it says and streams in the desert and many of you have probably read the devotional book streams in the desert uh, been published millions and millions of copies all over the world and I think it's really kind of cool I did some research on this and the Oriental Mission Society later beca became what's called a one mission society and it interacts with a lot of denominations many of them um, uh, like the Assemblies of God and some other uh, uh, organizations who might have maybe a little bit more of a charismatic charismatic flair um, but they're doing some great work uh, 118 or so 16 years hence uh, that's really pretty cool uh, I was reading they they run a big radio station in Haiti that covers most of Haiti they distributed a hundred thousand solar-powered radios uh, so that people could listen um, they 
do a lot of great work in Africa, uh, partnering with um, uh, the AME Zion Church, our National Baptist Church, a couple of great African-American denominations here in the States. Um, they're doing some really cool work, and it's an outgrowth of uh, that gal and just her legacy there as she was um, inspired by what God will do in the streams of the desert. I just thought that was kind of a cool connection. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Her name, you know, for our International Mission Board, um, uh, we talk about Lottie Moon as the uh, kind of the focal point there. Uh, this gal's name wasn't Lottie, it was Letty. So uh, uh, Letty Bird Cowman was her name. So um, if you see Streams in the Desert, that's part of that story. It's good to read the rest if you want to look it up on Google. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. So uh, I've been trying to include this uh, little concept. Uh, what do we learn about man and what do we learn about God in this passage? And this is a, kind of an easy one, right? Uh, one commentator made the point that there are two comings described in this chapter. The coming of God to his people and the coming of the people to God's house. That's where the highway's headed, to God's house. Both are necessary, and this is a proper order. We humans have made our world into a desert, and we are helpless in it. We can never know him unless he first comes to us. He must take the initiative both to disclose himself to us and to deliver us from the desert into which we have condemned ourselves. I mean, this is Easter, right? This is the message of Easter. Um, God came, human form, and because of Jesus' death, we have his payment for our sin, that judgment that we otherwise would have received. Jesus had that placed on him. And then... <clears throat> The power of the resurrection is the same power that's going to do all this redemption in chapter 35. And then, as we see here, we have this highway leading to Zion, and it says the redeemed will walk there. The redeemed will walk there. So I think this is a pretty good tie-in. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus walked this road. And really, no one at that time was really eligible, you might say, to be on that road that he was on. The people are on the sides of the road. After Easter, the people that are saved, we get to be on the road. We get to be on the road, and literally Jesus and his work paved the way for us there. You know, when we went through Isaiah, there was kind of an unexpected tie-in to Christmas, and I think that's kind of cool that there's this unexpected tie-in even to Palm Sunday. Uh, of course, it's not coincidence. Uh, we know how that works together. Um, so when you think about a highway, when you think about the road that Jesus was on on this Palm Sunday, and we can think about the road that will one day be on uh, to, this, to Zion, to the city of God that he's been talking about. So, chapter 35, Zion's happy future, our happy future.
Any thoughts on that? Anything else you want to add? Just makes Jane? me think of Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress? Yep. Definitely some references there as to which way Pilgrim needs to go. Anyone else? I think just the hope that there will come a day. There will be a day. There will be a day. Um, Paul says, you know, if you don't believe in the resurrection, we're pretty... I mean, there is no hope, right? Because I believe in the resurrection, believing in chapter 35 is easy, right? It just makes sense. God started with the world and out of nothing created the Garden of Eden. That work shows his majesty, his glory. This is just going to be another way. When he put things right, this is just going to be another way that he shows his majesty and his glory, taking the wilderness and making something beautiful out of it. No one else will be able to uh, deny that only God could have done this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that throughout history you are making beautiful things out of nothing and beautiful things out of bad things. And we thank you that we can look back at the work that Jesus started and that we can look forward to the work that Jesus will finish. And we thank you for uh, the message of um, restoration, the, rest, the message of encouragement we can have uh, as streams in the desert and as a king who traveled a highway that one day we will get to travel on. We thank you for your word and we thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. Our, one of those